going to turn to the Bible. But before we do that, I want to introduce uh, a very special guest we've got here today. All, all guests are very special. We've got someone here who's very special in my mind, and I believe in the sight of God, who's achieved some great things around the world. So let me let me introduce this guest here. This is a person who is in Edinburgh to receive an honorary doctorate from the University of Edinburgh for the work that she has done in Uganda in bringing corruption charges against people who deserve to be imprisoned. We have with us High Court Justice Julia Sebtunde and her friends, and I think we have the Ugandan ambassador to the Netherlands as well with us today. And let me tell you a little bit about her, then I'll invite her up to tell us a little bit about her faith. She, in 2005, was asked by Kofi Annan to preside as one of the judges over the Sierra Leone court cases, where there were 11 people being held to account for their atrocities during that time. A number of them have now been brought to justice and have long sentences because of the the killings, the 120,000 killings and the massacres that took place at that time. She's also, she was asked by her own government to investigate their own police and uh, corruption within the government and within her own country. Very risky task, but with her faith in God and a complete commitment to his justice, uh, brought many people to, to task. And as a result, many police were released from being policemen. And uh, this is in her own country. And amidst death threats and, and different things that she's faced, she's stood for justice. She hasn't yielded to the pressures that she faces. So I want to introduce and invite to join me up here just for a moment, Julia uh, Sibtundi. Let's hear it for Julia Sibtundi. Thank you. It's a pleasure being back in Edinburgh. I was last here 19 years ago as a student at the University of Edinburgh. You were five then? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't too old. Um, But it's a pleasure to be back. I I see the weather has improved slightly, (laughs) somewhat. This is better, is it? Yes, it's certainly better. Well, we thank God for global warming. Things are... (laughs) This is better. It must have been really bad back then. (laughs) You are an amazing lady uh, who, in the face of much pressure have stood for a cause you believe in. And we really admire that. And I think God does too. Thank you. Tell us how your faith in God inspires you to do what you're doing in your country. Well, really, I consider myself an ordinary person with extraordinary opportunities. Um, But I also thank God because I'm a born-again Christian and I've understood my faith to mean that as a lawyer and as a judge, I'm supposed to do things to, to represent Christ in the field that I am. And, and this is sort of my testimony to all of you, that whoever you are, whatever you do, whether you're a mom, a dad, a teacher, a doctor, God will not come down on earth to do things for humanity. He depends on us. He depends on our hands and our brains and our emotions and our professions to reach out to the world. And this has been my approach to life. In the Bible, he says to us that as Christians, we're supposed to be the light of this world and the salt of the earth, salt to preserve our communities. And um, in my country, I felt that there was a lot of corruption 
We're so many Christians, born-again Christians, but we were not being effective. We, somehow the corruption seemed to grow more and more and more and to thrive. So the, the Christians were not being effective because we were, not, we were losing our saltness. And um, I was greatly convicted in my own life to restore the saltness in my own life. And though I was alone, a woman, hardly five foot two, I decided I was going to live for Christ practically and I was going to let my salt be felt in the Ugandan community. And by the grace of God... So by, by the grace of God... I've just lived from day to day, depending on, on, on God's grace and God's strength, from day to day, just to do the best I can for him. And the opportunities that he brings in my life, I take them one by one, prayerfully, carefully, making sure that I do the best that I can from day to day. Very good. Wow. Uh, Julia, can you tell us, people, when, they, when there's suffering, when there's injustice... Many people, this brings into their mind questions about God, serious questions. And I guess the big question is, does God care about injustice? What do you think? Yes, God does care a lot. God himself is the king of justice. But God also has raised a lot of us. Through us, he wants to show justice in the world. So as, as Christians, we cannot sit by and judge God and say, why is this happening this way or why is this happening there? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is dark and God is depending on us to shine the light on you and you and you and you and you and together we can shine a big light. Individually we may be a small light, it doesn't matter. You don't need how many bulbs in this room to bring light. You may need three or two but it will bring a lot of light and so the injustice in the world is there but God I think depends on each one of us whenever we come across um, circumstances of injustice, prejudice, discrimination even. What do we do about it? Ask yourself, the next time you find injustice, do you just sit by and do nothing? You can do something about it to reduce the injustice in the world. Very good. Let's hear it for Judge Julia. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just... Um, sorry, I, I should have introduced my family. My husband, John, is here. My daughter, Sunny, is here. And my sister, Christine, is here. And I have a number of friends from Uganda. Please stand. So we love you all, and thank you. Wow. We have a hero in our midst. It's great. Great. We, we talk an awful lot in the church about how the Bible, truth, and how Jesus is teaching, it has to have an impact on the way we live. If it doesn't, we question our faith. We say, well, do we really believe? If we live the same, having met God and we just go out and live the same, it doesn't seem right. If you've met God, the God who is utterly passionate about issues of justice, the God who is utterly dedicated to humanity, then it must impact the way you treat other people. That's, we've been going through the book of James, and that's, a lot of that's been in there. All right, we're going to continue on, James. Let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, thank you so much today for your goodness, your love, and your justice. Thank you, God. You're a great, awesome, awesome God. 
God, with all that's within us, we praise and glorify you. God, I pray today as we take this time to look in James chapter 3, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, give us ears to hear. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd apply what we hear to our lives really rigorously, really strongly, like a, like a, a, a surgeon would with great detail and accuracy. I pray, Holy Spirit, empower me to speak. God, we invite you to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there was a, a lawyer uh, who was reading out the will of a man who had just passed away. <clears throat> and in the room were three people who were in, in that will. And the lawyer started reading the will. And he read, um, to you, my loving wife, Rose, and his wife was the, for, the wife of the deceased man was there, uh, who stood by me through rough times as well as in good times. I leave to you my house and two million pounds. Then the lawyer continued, to my daughter Jessica, who looked after me in sickness and kept my business going, I leave my yacht and my business and one million pounds to her. The lawyer concluded, and to my cousin Dan, who hated me, who argued with me and thought I would never mention him in my will. Well, you are wrong, Dan. Hi, Dan. Interpersonal relationships, frictions, conflicts. That's what we're going to be tackling today. You know, it, it, it might be, maybe that's your family that you're described, I just described there. It, it might be in your business, in your, in your workplace, the way you interrelate with other people. There's conflict and tensions. It might even be in the church. At times, there's tensions and conflicts. These are things that affect us all, but the Bible has an awful lot to say about how we relate with other people. And uh, in, this, in James chapter 3, where we are today, we're going to look at two kinds of wisdom that either a, a false kind of wisdom that hinders relationships and God's kind of wisdom that promotes good relationships. So James chapter 3 verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Some translations say demonic. <clears throat> For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Let me repeat that. Where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil thing but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace loving and then considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness all right just to recap a bit in the book of james we've discovered a number of things a couple of weeks ago we discovered that true faith expresses itself in so glad you were there and you remembered everything I said that's great we discovered a couple of weeks ago um, that true faith expresses itself in actions thank you true faith looks like it's true faith it's not just a claim it's not just an emotion it's not a mental faith it's not a word faith it's not an emotional faith it's an authentic faith that looks like it. Then we discovered 
a couple of weeks ago that our hearts will express itself in the words we speak. Didn't need any help with that one, right? That our hearts will express itself in the words we speak. Today we're going to discover that our wisdom will manifest itself in our relationships. That we know what kind of wisdom is going on in your life by based on looking at the relationships around your life. You see, not all that looks like wisdom is wisdom. We discover, and we're going to look at this today, that there is a demonic, devilish wisdom which undermines relationships. And on the flip side, there's God's wisdom which connects people together. All right, so we're going to start part one looking at demonic wisdom, part two, God's wisdom, and then we're going to bring a conclusion. Part one, demonic wisdom that divides people. James 3, 14 to 15. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. You know, the Carnegie Technological Institute revealed that 90% of people who fail in their life's vocation, in their job, in their career, fail because they do not get along with others. And according to scripture, there is a wrong kind of wisdom that divides, that causes chaos, that causes factions. There are three sources of this wrong kind of wisdom. The first source is an earthly source. It's the secular minds. It's the humanistic minds. It's people trying to figure out life without including the author of life in it. Trying to figure out life without God's involvement. Trying to figure out how do we do relationships without God's help. How do we do business without God's help. How do we educate our kids without involving God at all. How do we do these things without even involving the author of our life. It's an earthly humanistic wisdom. The second source of this wisdom is an unspiritual source. Uh, the word unspiritual used in James there is the Greek words pronounced sokikos, which means coming from a lower or bestial nature, natural or sensual. The Amplified Translation literally call, it says this superficial wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual or animal. It's, it's, it's an animalistic kind of attitude. It's based on our senses, our five senses. Rather than on our spirituality, it's based on our senses. So from this kind of wisdom, we get people saying things like this. How, about feel, how I feel about something is more important than the truth. Okay, if it feels good, I'll do it. You know, you're living like an animal. You feel like doing something, you do it. Nothing to do with whether it's right or not. Just purely based on a, a kind of animalistic wisdom. Um, you have people who think, well, more money I make, and the more things I own, this will bring lasting happiness. This is an animalistic, it's an unspiritual wisdom. Sexual pleasures will bring lasting happiness. It's an animalistic wisdom. And an attractive body. Um, and a great personality. Kind of like my own. <laughs> will get you what you want in life. And I've discovered that I get what I want in life through God. Not through my great looks and my incredible personality. Why'd you laugh? <laughs> and then the third source of wisdom we discover from the Bible is ultimately it's a demonic source. And actually the first two link with it. The humanistic, earthly, and then this unspiritual, animalistic actually are fueled by a demonic fire. And um, you see, we think 
How do you get demonic wisdom? Is it you sit in a, some sort of seance, some sort of dark ritual, you all hold hands and kind of chant things and then you download it from the devil into your life as demonic wisdom? Is that how it comes? Is it that we all wear black, big black hats and ride broomsticks and this is the source of how we get demonic wisdom? You know what? If it was that obvious, no one would be fooled. Demonic wisdom comes in incredibly subtle and deceptive ways. It says, listen, James 3.16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It doesn't say where you have demonic rituals and child sacrifice and widget boards. It says where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So that's the sources of this so-called wisdom. And this so-called wisdom expresses itself in two ways according to James. Number one, it expresses itself through bitter envy. You see, bitter envy leads to great sin. I could give you many examples in the Bible. I could give you Saul. I could give you um, Joseph's brothers. But I'm going to focus in on one. And it's the first murder to ever be recorded in human history. It's way back in Genesis, chapter 4, verses 2 to 8. Cain and Abel. Then the Lord looked, on favor, looked, looked with favor on Abel and found it on his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. But you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first murder recorded in human history happened. Why? Because of bitter envy. There you find every evil practice. We see envy affecting many people. Bitter envy ruining people's lives. We see it ruining marriages. We see it ruining communities. Leon Tolstoy, the the famous Russian novelist who wrote War and Peace, when he was married uh, to his wife Sonia, they had bitterness that that ruined their marriage. Tolstoy was incredibly honest with Sonia about previous relationships, sexual relationships that he had had with other women before marriage. And Sonia lived with, instead of a forgiveness, she lived with an embittered envy towards those other women. One woman in particular. One woman is a peasant lady who lived on Tolstoy's estate and who worked in the gardens of his estate. Now he had had an affair with her before he was ever married to Sonia. But she was every day aware of this lady being around and she was constantly being eaten up by bitter envy and it literally killed their marriage. This is an excerpt from Sonia's diary written in January 14th, 1909, Sonia wrote in her diary about this peasant lady. She relish, he relishes that peasant, peasant lady with her strong female body and her sunburnt legs. She allures him just as powerfully now as she did all those years ago. It sounds like she's describing a supermodel. But by this point, this was 50 years into the marriage. The peasant lady was 80 years old. She was frail. And yet, 50 years of marriage had been killed because of bitter 
Envy. Bitter envy affects many. If it's in your heart, it won't just stay in your heart. It will touch others around you. It says in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble by which many be defiled. The fact is, hurt people hurt people. It's a fact. If you don't deal with your hurt, if you don't deal with your pain, you don't deal with your bitterness, I guarantee you it will start to affect those around you. And tragically, it will affect those around you who are the nearest and dearest to you. Hurt people hurt people. You've got to break the cycle somewhere. Why is it that abused kids end up becoming abusive parents? How is that? Because somewhere down the line, the cycle wasn't broken. The good news is the cycle can be broken. But if it's not broken, hurt people hurt people. James says that, so in Hebrews, the writer says that the root of bitterness can end up defiling many. So you've got to get that root out of your life so that your influence can be a positive influence. Rick Warren puts it this way. If you do not release those who have hurt you, you will begin to resemble them. Um, how do we deal with this? Well, Jesus Christ gave us the answer. You remember the famous prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And for Matthew 16, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive, have forgiven our debtors. God, would you forgive me for my sins just as I forgive and let go of those who have sinned against me? Jesus includes a couple of verses on in verse 14 and says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And the adverse is the case as well. And Jesus says that in another place in the Gospels. That if you do not forgive, then heaven will not forgive. Do you know what? Your brokenness with others causes brokenness with God. Your lack of ability to forgive other people hinders your ability to receive God's forgiveness. And equally, if you've received God's forgiveness, then who are you not to grant God's forgiveness to someone else? If God has shown you so much mercy, then how can you hold that back from someone else? Do you know what? Some of you here today are carrying intense sense of guilt before God. You think, how on earth could God forgive me? You have not realized the magnitudes the extent to which God has gone to, to forgive you. God Almighty, Holy, the Creator, personally came 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived an outstanding life. And at the end of it, he hung and died a criminal's death on a barbaric cross on behalf of sinners like you and like me. He took our sin. He took our shame. He took our injustices. He took our abuses. He took our, our, our immoralities. All that stuff that ruins your life, that through you has ruined the lives of others and breaks our relationship with God. Jesus took it on the cross. He died so that you wouldn't need to. He took the punishment so you wouldn't need to go to hell. And on the third day, he rose again, conquered death to tell you that you can have an eternal and an abundant life. Now you put your faith in him, you will not die and perish in hell. You will have an eternal life. 
and you'll have an abundant life on earth with him. That's very good news. So if you're wondering, will God forgive me? Then you just ain't grasped what God has done for you. And I want to encourage you today, not only grasp it, but put your faith in Jesus. Cross a line in your heart. Say from here on, I'm going to authentically follow Jesus with everything within me. Know God's forgiveness. Give God's forgiveness. Don't carry bitterness. The second expression of demonic wisdom is selfish ambition. The word selfish ambition in the Greek language is erythera, which means electioneering for an office, like a a politician trying to get into power. A desire to put oneself forward. A partisan or a factious spirit, which is not against using underhanded tactics. Strong's puts it this way, faction, contention, and strife. In the ancient Greek world where where these words were commonly used, uh, you would have a politician who would be fighting their way into office. And their agenda was very clear. When they got into office, they wanted that office for their own ends. They were selfish. They wanted position not for the benefit of others. They wanted position for the benefit of themselves. That's what this word is describing It's talking about someone with a selfish agenda. Selfish ambition. It manifests itself in so many ways in our world. We see this kind of wisdom sneak into the business world. It's kind of competitivity. I've invented a new word. It's competitiveness. It's survival of the fittest. It's dog eat dog. It's fight your way to the top. Who cares how many people you stand on? It's that kind of competitive drivenness that is selfish. Now, is it good to be driven? Absolutely. Is it good to be single-minded? Yep. Is it good to be ambitious in the right sense? Absolutely. But is it good to be selfishly ambitious? Not we. According to the Bible, in that environment, there is every evil thing. Let me just show you a quick clip. One of the, film, one of the series I've been watching <coughs> recently, it just finished, was The Apprentice. Anyone watch The Apprentice? Oh, fellow believers, fantastic. What an outstanding series. I love that. I love it. Me and Angie, as often as we could, if we missed it, we'd watch it on iPlay. It was brilliant. Here's a quick clip from one of the guys called Ben in The Apprentice. And here we see this competitive... What? Okay, here's the clip. Words couldn't even describe how much I want this. I'm going to rip people limb from limb together. <laughs> Biggest fight of my life. Stop fanning around! Can I just make a point did you know, on did, that? Can, no, I can, finish, I, can I finish, please? Can I finish, please? already please? speaking. You better believe I've got the ammunition loaded up to absolutely drill them into the ground. Well, let's talk about five pounds and seven hundred pounds if you want to talk about idiots. If I have to take people to bits, <laughs> I will do. I'll bite their bloody teeth out. You've shown yourself to be a bit of a thug. Well, I've got a scholarship to Sanders. If your weapon jams, your life's in jeopardy. Well, I've got a scholarship to Sanders. Did you go? No. I haven't taken the clothes on it yet. And if he tries that, I'll actually rip him apart. Talk anymore, and you'll talk yourself out the door. Excuse the language. You know, wow, intense. Who would like to have that guy working for him? Oh, boy, no chance. And yet, that attitude, it's thought, that's the way you've got to be in business. And yet, honestly, 
How many bosses would want anyone like that near them? How many bosses would want other of your employees working alongside someone like that? I don't think so. It's not God's wisdom. The best leader, the greatest leader, Jesus Christ, he said, if you want to be great, you serve. The one whose name is the most famous name who's ever been, Jesus Christ, he was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. In fact, he was willing to die on a cross for a world who never asked him to. It's called serving. Our God serves. God's wisdom is so much better. So we see this kind of ambitious streak that comes from this ungodly, demonic wisdom. There was two guys going through a woods and out from behind this tree jumps this huge grizzly bear. Ferocious. So they, they, they panic and they start to run. But before they, before, before they properly run, the guy get, one of the guys gets his rucksack off and gets his trainers out and starts lacing his trainers up. And his mate says to him, what on earth are you doing? Do you not know that you cannot outrun a grizzly bear? He said, I'm not trying to outrun the grizzly bear. I'm trying to outrun you. <laughs> In other words, if I can just get ahead, then you'll take it for me. You'll, as long as you, I, I don't get you, that's all right. That's all that matters. And that's the world we live in. And it's not God's wisdom. It's a demonic wisdom. You know, this, this same competitive spirit uh, manifests itself in different ways. This, it comes from a human source, a humanistic source. We see it results in selfishness. Um, Richard Dawkins and the British Humanist Association at the beginning of this year uh, had a whole bus advertising campaign. Here's, here's a slide. You probably saw these, these slides around. There's Mr. Dawkins there, trying to look happy without God. Um, there's probably no God. Now, stop worrying and enjoy your life. It's not a very intelligent thing to say, but they said it thinking they were clever. Now, the thing about that is this. It tells me one thing very clearly. That if we can get God out the picture, then we can do what we want. Right? That's, that's the message. And that doesn't sound like a wise message to me. I've got kids. My kids need love, and my kids need love expressed in boundaries. Without boundaries, humanity messes up big style. And the humanistic association, in their wisdom, want to remove God from the equation and hope that human beings are liberated with this removal of God. It would actually be result in chaos, disorder, and ruin. We were designed not just to believe in the existence of a God philosophically. We were designed to know God and live under his ways. So we see selfish ambition coming from a humanistic drive and agenda. Anton LaVey said this, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Anton LaVey, who's one of the world's most famous Satanists, this, this statement he made has become the, the crowning statement of Satanism around the world. It's almost like as Christians would have, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the great commandment. Satanism would have this statement, do what thy will is the whole of the law. In other words, live as you want. It's interesting, Satanism's crowning statement has nothing to do with the occult or witches or strange rituals. It's to do with selfishness. There's nothing darker, folks. You were never created to live for self. Never. And that's why so many people in our world are utterly dissatisfied. In our materialistic Western world, we're living for stuff. And you were never designed to live for stuff. You were designed to live for God. And he might give you stuff, but you're not living for it. You're living for God. 
You're living to benefit and glorify God and to benefit and enhance the lives of other human beings around you. And you live that way. Then actually you're doing yourself the biggest service. You live with joy. You live with satisfaction. You live a fulfilled life. So we see selfish ambition is Satan's agenda. See, one of the big reasons why I believe selfish ambition is one of Satan's greatest agendas and his false wisdom is that he hates unity. Why? Because unity brings and attracts the blessing of God. And if he can disrupt unity, then he can hinder God's blessing on his people. We see in the Bible many examples. Psalm 133 talks about how God's blessing will bring, how unity among God's people will bring blessing. We see Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, and he prayed, Father, let them be one. And then he goes on to say, the world may believe that you sent me. Now the world believes when the church gets it together. We see in Acts chapter 2, when they were in one place in one accord, unity. There the Holy Spirit fell and the biggest movement this world has ever seen was birthed. We see unity attracts God's blessing. Therefore, Satan's one of his greatest tactics is to interject disunity among God's people in the hope that he can hinder the blessing of God flowing. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 6, 16 to 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven things which are an abomination to him, right? You're about to hear a list of seven things. The first six, God hates. But the seventh, that one, is an utter abomination to God. Haughty eyes. Don't be haughty because it's... Naughty. It's naughty. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent bloods. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. One who, listen, number seven. One who spreads strife among his brothers. Did you see that list? That's incredible. God places murder as something he hates. People who run, go quickly to shed bloods. God hates that. A false witness in a court hearing. God hates that. Lots of things, haughtiness. God hates that. That's pride and arrogance. You know that what is an utter abomination to God is someone who spreads strife among brothers. Now, if we were going to make that list, we wouldn't have put it in that order. We would have put murder or a false witness as the abominational one. But God places the abominable one, the person who causes uh, separation, causes disunity, causes factions. You have to understand, if you're a gossip, you're living abominably in the sight of God. You're worse than a murderer. You're disrupting what God wants to bless. If you've come from another church to this church and you start gossiping to us about your old pastor, how bad he was, you're an abomination to God. Repent. Go and put things right. If you're in this church and you're gossiping about me or gossiping about any of the elders, or gossiping about your home group leaders. Repent. That is abominable to God. If you're gossiping about any other person in the church, repent. That's abominable to God. The Bible, I believe, unity attracts God's blessing. Disunity 
is an abomination to God. Say hallelujah to ease the tension. Stop gossiping. And not, not just stop gossiping. Deal with the attitude that would want to make you gossip in the first place. Stop pursuing selfish agenda. Start pursuing the purpose of God. You were never born to live for yourself. That's why you're so unhappy. Live for God. Live for Him and His purpose. Live for the benefit of others. So we've looked at demonic wisdom. Now let's look at God's wisdom. Part two. God's wisdom that connects people. Okay, there are eight characteristics in these verses about God's wisdom. Characteristics number one is have humility around others. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life and by deeds done in humility, in the humility that comes from wisdom. So we see that wisdom manifests itself in humility, in the humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, There was a lady who had the opportunity in two points in her life to spend time with British prime ministers. And she comments about time she had with the two prime ministers and this is what she said. She said, when I was with one, I knew I was in the presence of greatness. And when I was with the other, I knew that I was great. You see, some people, you hang out with them, you feel intimidated. You feel like you're not worthy to be with them. Other people, when you hang out with them, you feel so special because of the value they confer on you. Humility builds good relationships. David John Cho, who passes the world's, or was the world's largest church in Seoul, Korea, a phenomenal leader, yet an incredibly humble person. My friend Brendan, um, who I was best man for, and he passes Destiny Church in Dublin. Before he started the church in Dublin, he went to see David John Cho. He'd, in, his, in Destiny College, he did his thesis on David John Cho, and at the end of the college, he decided he wanted to go and meet the guy and, and look at the church and just learn. And he hoped there might be a possibility even to meet him before he started a church in Dublin. So he, he went over there, he spent time, he was on prayer mountain, saw where the thousands of people every day would gather to pray. He saw the vast auditorium and the, and the seven services on a Sunday. He saw their, their newspaper where they t- talk about how they address issues of their day. They looked at how the, the church is totally alleviating poverty and getting people back into employment. Phenomenal work the church is doing. But then he had an appointment, a 20-minute appointment with David Yonggi Cho himself. And he went in to meet this great man. And he, had a chan- and he walked into this, down this kind of big corridor and down this big, into this huge office at the end of his little desk and David Yonggi Cho was there. It was utterly intimidating, the whole experience. And Brendan got down and he sat down with David Yonggi Cho. And Brendan said, you know, in that 20 minutes, he made me feel so special. He didn't spend those 20 minutes talking about how great the church was or about Korea, he spent the 20 minutes asking about Brendan, about what he was going to, dreaming of doing in Ireland, about how God had changed his life and about how he'd become a Christian and what dreams God had put in his heart. And, and then he prayed with him and he prophesied over him and, he gave him and he gave him some DVDs. I want an appointment with David Yonggi Cho. <laughs> but there's a great man, yet a humble man. Humility builds good relationships. Arrogant people don't have many friends. Second expression of God's wisdom is be pure in your motives. James 3, 17 to 18, and here's the list. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. 
Say that. First of all, so first, above everything else, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, and peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. So we'll talk about those others in a minute. But it says, first of all, pure. Before all other qualities, purity. You know, when you have people who you're hanging out with them and you, you don't think they've got pure motives, it doesn't really build good relationship. It doesn't really strengthen relationships. But God's wisdom helps you be pure. The Greek word for pure is hagnos, which means properly clean, innocent, modest, perfect. You see, pure motivations means you don't have a double agenda in a relationship. You know what it's like when you've got, you meet a sales rep, and that sales rep isn't interested in you, although it sounds like initially they are, that sales rep just wants to sell you something. And then when you give any, and that's fine because that's what sales reps do, sales reps are going to sell. But then if you give any indication that you're not interested in buying their product, then they show utter disinterest in you. All right then. And it's like, wait a minute, you just asked me about my family a minute ago, now you're walking away. Double agenda, it's not pure. Tip for all the salespeople in here. Love people whether they buy your product anyway. And then you'll sell lots of products. It's Purity. Or you've got the guys in the church, right? And they're there to get themselves a date. And they hang around like stalkers, right? We know who you are. Just now you're doing this, right? We can see you. Okay? You're like stalkers. And all you do is you just chat to the girls that you perceive to be attractive. The girls you don't perceive to be attractive, you just ignore them. But do you not think the girls who you perceive to be attractive can't see through that? You see, you've got to ask yourself, dude, <laughs> if she was going to be interested in a guy, would it be a guy like you? I don't think so. How about having purity in the way you treat people? That means you show love and appreciation to all people, no matter who they are. And I tell you what, that makes you hot. (laughs) They'll all be flocking around you, I tell you. Work for me, I tell you. Work. (laughs) Thirdly, peace-loving attitudes. It says peace-loving was one of the one of the keys. You know, some people they just constant conflict, constant aggro, constant fights. I heard of one guy who was so argumentative he only ate foods that disagreed with him. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. The Bible says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Sounds like the Bible's encouraging you to be proactive. You know, whatever it takes, as far as it depends on you, go fix it. Now, if you've done everything you can do, and they're still aggro, and they still choose not to forgive you, then at least you know you've done everything you can. But have you done everything you can as far as it depends on you? Have you used every mechanism available to you? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Have a reconciliation mentality. Have a peace-loving mentality. Absolutely love it. And there is a difference, a big difference, between a, a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. You know, the peacekeaper is the person who just tre- treasure and not want to... It's like the feeling of constantly treading on eggshells. 
They don't want to say that thing because it might upset them. Or they don't want to, and they're just tiptoeing around the place. That's not peace. That's paranoia. That's not peacemaking. That's peacekeeping. That's, I'm not going to rock the boat here. I know what happened last time I rocked the boat. Don't want to rock the boat. You can't live like that. The Bible's not telling you to be some cowering, weak individual who just tiptoes around, not raising issues. The Bible talks about, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. In other words, whatever it takes, make peace. And sometimes to make peace, you need to have a good barney first. For there to be clear in the air, you need a good thunderstorm every so often. Sometimes confrontation is the route to peace. Not confrontation because you like fighting. No one likes confrontation. But confrontation because you're not going to settle for any second best peace. So peacemaker. And the Bible says in James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In other words, see yourself like a farmer. And harvest is never an accidental thing. You've got to sow good stuff. You're going to invest in that peace. Okay, fourthly, be considerate of others. This is James's advice about good wisdom that builds good relationships. A research organization asked several thousand people uh, what were the most serious faults in high-flying executives that in their dealings with their employees? You know, if you were employed in a company, what were the things that bugged you most about your bosses? And the answer that came out above all other answers, the biggest frustration was this. The most common answer was failure to see other person's point of view. 68% of those interviews said that. The boss's failure to see anyone else's point of view was one of the biggest frustrations for that person's employees. You've got to be mindful of the feelings of others. Being considerate is God's wisdom in relationships to build them strong. You ever played this game? Uh, My day can beat your day game? Sometimes I play this with my wife. I don't know if any guys can relate to this. You come back from work, you say, the traffic was bad, my boss got upset, had a tough phone call this day. Then your wife says, oh yeah, I've done all the cleaning, I've done all the shopping. The dog puked in the carpet. The kid flushed his teddy down the loo. <laughs> you think your day's been bad, right? It's my day can beat your day game. Anyone played that game? Okay, Bible talks about not lying, right? Anyone ever played that game before? Right, my day can beat your day again. Anyone won that game? <laughs> you know, you're allowed to allow your spouse to be tired every so often. Okay, that's allowed. Without you saying, I'm tired too. Just a thought. Sometimes I wake up grumpy. Other times I just let her sleep. Um, <laughs> God's wisdom calls us to be considerate. If you care, you'll be aware. It's under, do you know what God is considerate? Did you know that? God is considerate? God considers the opinions of others. Did you know that? The Almighty, the Sovereign. There's an instance in the Old Testament where Moses, okay, God was there and the people were there and Moses was here and God was wanting to wipe out the people. And Moses says, no, you can't do that, God. Because you shouldn't kill people. And he argued a case with God. And God said, Okay then, you've persuaded me. 
God's reasonable. God is considerate. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, this is a verse for the husbands here, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. And it goes on to say, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, if you, sh- if you show lack of consideration in this plane, though you'll get a blank in this plane. I believe the relationships in this direction can either enhance or hinder your relationship with God. The reason Paul gives us for living with your wives in an understanding way is that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. Fifthly, have a submissive nature. The, 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 James lists submissiveness as a, as a key attribute in God's kind of wisdom. It's an expression of God's wisdom. And it, 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 the, the word for it, submissive in the Greek language there is eupithes, which means good for persuasion, compliance, easily persuaded or reasonable. The Revised Standard Version says it this way, open to reason. The Living Bible says, allows discussion. The King James Version said, it's easy to be entreated. Are you a reasonable person? Can your kids reason with you? Dads. Or are they constantly hacked off that you just don't listen? That you're not submissive in your attitude? Can your wife reason with you? Can your parents reason with you? We've got to have a submissiveness. Some people say, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. You see, here's the key. If it's true, listen, learn, and live by it. If it's not true, ignore it and forget it. If you're wise, you will be open to reason. Does this mean that you're open to any opinion? No. Does it mean that you'll embrace any, anyone's, well, everyone's got the right to their opinion and I've got to be submissive to everyone? No, no. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus wasn't open to everyone's opinion. But in the right sense, Jesus was submitted in his attitude. He had a submissive nature. In other words, some people, you go to them, and as soon as you go to them, they're like a closed book from the word go. They think they know what you're going to say, and they ain't going to listen to anything you've got to say. They're closed. And that, according to James, isn't God's kind of wisdom. The right kind of wisdom is an openness, a submissive nature that's open to reason. And when the, then when you hear the information, then you process it, and you think, okay, do I want to accept that or not? But you've been open to reason. Sixthly, God's kind of wisdom expresses itself in being full of mercy and good fruit. Full of mercy and good fruit. You know, that builds big relationships. That builds huge relationships. I, I love this church. I absolutely love the people in this church. And uh, many of you have been utterly messed up. Some of you are currently messed up. Love you to bits. Some of you don't look like you're messed up, but you are messed up. And you know, I remember a year ago, I know you're in this auditorium, so I'm sure you won't mind me sharing this, but I won't tell anyone who your name is. A year ago, uh, this dear friend in the church had blown it, had slipped back, back into alcoholism, had totally blown it, and disappeared for a few weeks. And then just down near our church building in Leith, I saw him. He was steaming drunk. And I said, 
great to see you. Now, he, I don't know what response he was expecting to get from me, but I gave him a hug and told him, it's great to see you. And I said, now, come on, pick yourself up, get going again. I told him that failure is an event, never a person. I told him that the failure is not the person who falls down, but the person who stays down. So get up, get going again. Dust yourself down, all will be forgiven. Get moving. God's got a great plan for your life. Now, had he, now, was I frustrated? Absolutely. Was I angry and blown it? Absolutely. But did I love him to bits? Absolutely. Mercy builds big relationships. He came to me the other day there as he was going out from church and said, Peter, I've been one year sober. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Proverbs, Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers over the offense... An offense promotes love. But whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever covered, now I'm not talking about ignoring justice, but I'm talking about showing mercy. You see, people who show mercy don't rub it in, they rub it out. Because that's exactly what God did. When you got saved, God doesn't come with your stick and point out your sin and say you're a sinner. You already know that. He came to wipe away your sin, to give you a whole new start, to give you his mercy, not his judgment, and to give you a new start. Seventhly, be impartial. Treat everyone equally. The Greek word used in James here is adakitos, which means without partiality or undistinguished or unintelligible. In other words, you're with two people who are very different, but as far as you're concerned, it's an unintelligible difference. It's undistinguishable. They look the same to you because you know in the sight of God they look the same. How you treat others. It doesn't take sides. You treat the same, the old person and the young person. This color of skin, this color of skin. This person from this background, this person from this background. This person with this persuasion, this person with that persuasion. You see, judgmental Christianity, bigoted Christianity, has put many people off true Christianity. Because Jesus Christ was not bigoted. In fact, he offended the religious by how he demonstrated love to those that they ostracized. Eighthly, be sincere with people. Sincere is the Greek word, is the Greek word, (laughs) which means without hypocrisy or undisguised. In the Greek theater in those days, the, hip, the word hypocrites was actually the title for a certain type of actor. In certain Greek shows, they would only have two or three actors, and yet they would have many parts. And when the actors went up, they would put a face mask on, and they would act a certain part. And then the next moment, the same actor would stand up with a different mask on and act a different part. And that actor was called the hypocrite. Well, this is the same word that the Bible is talking about here, without hypocrisy. Sincerity. God is looking for you not to be a phony. True wisdom will cause you to be a person with others who is sincere. What you see is what you get. There's no double agenda. Sincerity. That builds strong relationship. So we've looked at the devil's version of wisdom. We looked at God's wisdom. Now let's ask the question to conclude. How do you get God's wisdom? Okay, I've got it, Peter. You've given me the list of stuff I've got to do. I make a resolution today. I'm going to be peace-loving. I'm going to be sincere. I'm going to be... No, no, no. 
That's not how you get God's wisdom. You don't muster it up. You don't discipline yourself to be it. The Bible says, James 3.17, the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven, okay. It's called English. This is it's a fantastic invention. It's called language. I'm not very good at it. but so, Okay, let's try again. The wisdom that comes from? Heaven. So where's it from? Heaven. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. This peace, tell you, this wisdom is from God. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. This is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You see, knowledge comes from education. Wisdom comes from God. Knowledge comes from looking around you. Wisdom comes from looking up. Knowledge comes from reason. Wisdom comes from revelation. Knowledge is something you learn. Wisdom is a gift. It's from heaven. It's to be asked from God. Colossians 2, 3, 2 to 3, I end with this verse. Listen to this. Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's wisdom is wrapped up in one person. Jesus. You want God's wisdom? You need Jesus in your life. You want more of God's wisdom? Be closer to Jesus. What you're going to do is you're going to allow his life to flow through your life. Allow your life to come under his lordship. Don't be your own boss. Being a Christian isn't just, oh, I've chosen to go to church and I believe this set of morals. Being a Christian is, my life is under the lordship of Jesus. And you let him be the central figure in your life. And then his wisdom starts to flow through your life. So Jesus, would you give me your love for others? Jesus, would you give me your capacity to forgive? And you have a big capacity to forgive. Give me this capacity so I can be merciful to others. Give me your ability to be patient and considerate of others. And I will be that way with others, God. You see, with Jesus Christ... Marriage gets better. With Jesus Christ, church gets stronger. With Jesus Christ, communities build stronger. With Jesus Christ, your life has changed. He is God's wisdom. In him, he's the source. Okay, let's pray. Take a moment to pray back your response to God some of the things you've heard today take a moment to talk to God about them Father God we thank you that in Jesus it's all the wisdom we need we acknowledge that there's two kinds of wisdom God and so often we've operated quite frankly in demonic wisdom without realizing it, God, with bitter envy and with selfish ambition. We've moved across a line into a dark place and we find ourselves acting in ways that we don't understand. 
and doing things and saying things that we don't understand. God, in reality, we look out at history and we see wars beginning because of bitter envy and selfish ambition. We see whole countries falling because of bitter envy and selfish ambition. We see churches in the city that have split because of bitter envy and selfish ambition. We see families that are ruined because of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Truly, it's not the witches that we need to be scared of, God. It's, it's the attitudes that can come from a demonic source that can manifest in our life. And I pray, God, in Jesus' name, as we've heard these words today, that any of those things reside in our hearts, they be uprooted now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, God, that we would be a church that understands God's wisdom, that lives in God's wisdom, that in our marriages we would be outstanding husbands and wives with our children. We'd be wise in the way we are with them and we teach them your way. That God, in our workplace, we'd be not a pleasure to work with God. We wouldn't be bigoted Christians that everyone avoids, but we'd be authentic Christians that people say, wow, I want what you've got. That God, in our church, that the community in this church would be so awesome. Thank you, God, there's good community. Thank you, there's good relationships in the church, Father. And I pray, Father God, that that will continue. That will be a legacy. God, as we go from hundreds into thousands in the years ahead, we pray, Father God, as thousands gather, the unity would still be there. The loyalty to each other and to God would be so incredible. And it would model community for the communities. It would model city for the city. It would model life for those who are looking for life. And it would be a family to those who don't have a family. We pray that in Jesus' name. Okay, can I give you an opportunity? If you're disconnected from God, if you need God's mercy and His forgiveness in your life, if you've never made Jesus totally Lord of your life, what I mean by that is, put him first, truly first, above your opinions, above your agendas. You've been living for self, but now you're willing to say, I'm going to live for God. If that's you, then I want to give you an opportunity just now to pray and to put things right with God and to enter into this new life he has for you, just with a simple prayer that's you, I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. Repeat this after me quietly under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you, God, that your love caused you to come. And Jesus, you came and you died on the cross for my sins to be forgiven. And right now, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins give me a new start Jesus I believe you rose from the dead on the third day and I believe you're very much alive right now right now I make you Lord of my life I yield everything to you I put you first thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child. Amen.
keep your eyes closed. If that's you today and you prayed that prayer, you've just done a great thing and I know God's heard your prayer. I would love the privilege of praying for you. If you prayed that prayer today and you really meant it, I want to ask God's blessing on you. In order to know who I'm praying for, just very simply, where you are, I'm not going to embarrass you, but just where you're sitting. If you prayed that prayer, could you just raise your hand quickly to let me know you prayed it? Thanks. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anybody else? You prayed that prayer. Before I pray, is there anyone else? You made that commitment? I want to pray for you. God, I want to thank you for my friends today who have said yes to you, who have made you Lord of their lives, who have put their faith in you, Jesus, and have asked you for your forgiveness. And for maybe those who prayed that prayer but didn't put their hand up, you still heard the prayer. And I pray that each and every one of them now would walk with you Jesus, that you would truly be their Lord and their life would display the wisdom of God in a great way. Thank you for them, God. Help to stick in the church. Help to grow in their faith. In Jesus' name.